Not long after the signal at 99.4 MHz, commonly known as KJZZ, went quiet, a new broadcast began. This one was different, and yet the same, and to the scientists gathered around their equipment to the confused homeowner wondering when this Mrs. McLavin show would end and the new jockstrap song would come on, everyone knew something had changed. This is what they heard. yesterday. I was up before dawn. I can't say I've enjoyed my stay behind this disused gas station, camped out in the cramped cab of my borrowed hoist truck. Today was the same. I know I can't go on forever, because I must find Dusty, and I don't have much time. I have to be moving on. After leaving the bar, I pulled into a few hoist-friendly garages, asking if anyone knew about a tantric battle or a violent yoga contest. The other hoistmen look at me with something like suspicion, or recognition. Perhaps they've heard of how Frank betrayed me and other people of the hoist. Or perhaps by asking about something so fervently I made myself seem untrustworthy. Hoistmen do not seek, they persevere. Just when I finally find something that's mine, it gets taken away. Maybe by lake water or weak-willed hoistmen that can't stand up to pyramid-wearing losers. I drove all night, slept, and drove again. And now I'm in this terrible, deserted gas station. The attendants were friendly enough when I pulled in just before dawn and pointed to a spot where I could park my hoist truck and rest. But now the place looks evacuated, preserved. The radio is on, a fan is blowing into an empty chair, but no one is sitting in it. I browse the refrigerator cases, looking for something to keep me going. I select a grill lightning, peach fuck-up flavor, leave some coins by the register, and head back outside. The sun is long out of sight behind some forbidding-looking mountains great teeth on the horizon. It reminds me of Ansipin's obsidian head, the head of all evil and forged by the sons of Ra at the beginning of all things, the head of Fraser. I imagine its great teeth filling the sky and gnashing down the tossed salads and scrambled eggs of this world. Maybe that will be how it goes. It won't matter. If I find Dusty by tomorrow, nothing else will matter. A jingling breaks my reverie. Something green slithers quickly into the shadows behind the gas station. I clip the grill lightning to my belt using the can's quick deployment utility holster and head after the green thing. Behind the gas station, some desperate plants cling hopefully to an outcropping of rocks that stretches into the distance like the spine of some great beast. Again I hear the jingling sound and follow it to the mouth of a small cave, hidden amongst the rocks. The entrance is greasy, like a ham press that hasn't been serviced in months. A rank smell invades my nostrils as I inspect the power rooms written in what looks like dried blood when a shrill, smiling voice catches me off guard. In the darkness, a match strikes and ignites a dirty Coleman lantern. The light it casts is buttery and reveals piles of garbage and rusting junk arranged haphazardly on crudely cut stone shelves. But most surprising is the figure holding the lantern. He welcomes me to his cave. 
He's four feet tall, with long ears and pale yellow eyes with reptilian pupils, and a pig-like nose set into a sickly green face. A long, tufted tail fitted with a bow flicks out behind him, and a half-deflated cap topped with a bell sags on his head. I start to back away, but he holds up surprisingly large and dexterous hands and assures me that everything is fine. He speaks with a smirking whine, the way a cartoon villain does before attacking the hero. But instead of attacking, he introduces himself as Gabo and offers to sell me a moldy tunic. A rotting fish, he says, could be mine, for just a silver coin. For a ruby chalice, I could get a wondrous, worm-filled head of cauliflower. Gabo adds in a stage whisper that a worm-filled human head wouldn't cost me much more. Putting that down, he scampers up holding a box of wet action figures and proclaims that these came fresh from the internet this morning. I recognize the name on the box, Greasy Eddie. He was a fixture at Dusty's underwater drum circles. I reflect that, back in that life on the lake, I wouldn't have been able to deal with the appearance of something like Gabo, or his aggressive sales tactics. But I'm a hoistman, or I was, and I've seen far worse than Gabo. I'm not interested in this, I say. I'm looking for Dusty. He's going to be in a fight tomorrow, and I need to be there. A series of animal emotions pass over Gabo's face. His eyes dart around like snakes in a fishbowl, and he taps the tips of his fingers together. He asks if I mean Dusty McLavin. That's the one, I tell him wearily. He sneers, or something like it. He says he knows all about Dusty. Why aren't I surprised, I mutter. Then Gabo reaches behind a pile of moldering Happy Meals and Mac Tonight merchandise and fishes out a thin vial. Gabo says that Dusty passed this way many years ago, on his way to a fight. He offered this to Dusty too, but Dusty would not purchase the item. The thin claws in Gabo's hand tap the glass gently as he holds it out for me. I squint into the glass and see some murky water. I discern Gabo's toothy grin behind the vial, but I can't seem to pull my gaze away from the small object. The water is deeper than I thought, and the particles within it coalesce into something. A shape, or a figure, a memory. I am standing on the beach by the lake. The sun is high in the Midwest sky. There are no mountains, no terrible obsidian teeth here. Just trees and the welcoming, slightly fetid smell of the water. I see my sons, all of my sons, all of my sons together as they never were. They're playing in the sand in their BFRA swim trunks. Dustward and little Dustman Jr. are practicing synchronized jet ski stunts while Dusty mixes thin Lizzie tracks on his portable DJ setup. So perfect, so beautiful. I want to run to them and fill up my heart with suns. They're calling to me, welcoming me back. They shout, Hurry, Mom! Benton Harbor Bitchin' Boat Blast is about to start. I love the Bitchin' Boat Blast. I love this life. I love my sons. Dustman Jr. revs the engine of his Kawasaki jet ski again, but the noise is different. It's the sound of a tiny electric motor lifting a piece of toast. I blink, and Gabo is still grinning at me. Maybe I would like this treasure, he asks. I want to look back into that vial of lake water. I want to feel the warm sun on the sand. I want to see my sons. But my eyes don't waver. I'm locked with his reptile slits. He seems nervous. I'm not like Dusty, I say, and reach out to take the vial. Gabo smells victory. With my other hand, I disengage the tall boy of Gorilla Lightning. Though partially consumed, its reinforced steel can, meant to withstand intense chugging action, easily smashes through the thin crystal of the vial. Gabo shrieks and recoils as a flash of light flares and blue smoke curls towards the ceiling. 
I expect him to attack, but his hissing yowling becomes an uncontrollable laugh. Gabo likes me, he says. Gabo thinks I'll do well at the Wizard Blood Bowl. I ask him what the hell that is, but instead of answering, he just holds up the lantern again. I realize what he's doing as he opens the filthy glass cover. He tells me I'm wrong, that I'm exactly like Dusty, and blows out the flame. I'm standing outside the cave again. The filth still lines the entrance, the runes are still in place, but instead of cavernous depths, there's only a depression in the rock. The desert wind pulls at a scrap of paper under my boot. It's a label from a Fritz beer with the words, Thank you from Gabo, please come again, scrawled on the back. I head back to the truck. As I start the engine, I can almost smell the lake, the trees. I can almost hear my boys again. I'm not driving with a destination in mind anymore. It's like I was when I got into the truck with Frank. I don't know how far I go, but at some point I start to pull off the road. When I come to my senses again, I've driven across the flat desert sand and packed dirt roads. In front of me is what must surely look like a storm from the distance. But here, up close, I can see that it's moving and writhing. It's not clouds that drop rain, but a swirling dust devil kicked up by something. I want to pull back onto the road, but this feels right. Like gravity has shifted and I'm just falling down the hill. I don't feel the hoist truck whine and complain with each bump. I notice people around me. Just one or two at first, then bands of travelers and scattered crowds. As I near the swirling column of dust and smoke, big enough to fill the windshield now, but still far away, I slow and shout at one of the people through the window. Hey, what's that up ahead? I call. The dead eyes of a surly youth turn to me. He smirks. It's the fucking fight, he says. A fellow teen runs up to him excited and hands him an old boombox from the 80s. The young man holds it above his head and calls out, Hey guys, Dusty's coming! Dusty's here! The voice pours through the speakers of the boombox. It's Dusty's voice. Falling down. Like Donald Trump. Like a dying tree. Falling down. Like Donald Trump. Like a dying tree. Falling down. Like Donald Trump. Like a the dying youths tree. nod and then their falling lips begin down. to move. They're like chanting. Trump, and soon like my lips are moving tree, too, despite myself. Down. I turn Donald back toward Trump, the maelstrom of the like fight, I press the gas, and as I gather speed, my like voice Trump, stays the same, like even tree, volume. Falling down. Like Donald like Trump, Trump, like a dying tree, falling down. Like Donald Trump, like a dying tree, falling down. Like Donald Trump, like a dying tree, falling down. Like Donald Trump, like a dying tree, falling down. Like Donald Trump, like a dying tree, falling like down. Like Donald Trump, like a dying tree, falling down. Like Donald Trump, like Donald like a dying tree, like a dying tree. Like a dying tree down, falling down. Like Donald Trump, like a dying tree, falling down. Like Donald Trump, like a dying tree, falling down. Like a dying tree, falling. Like Donald Trump, like a dying tree, falling down. This episode of Brian Weekly was written and performed by Max, Donald Trump, Eddie, Kathy Hot, Mid-Century Mess Fisher, and Brandon Perfect Precious Baby Kirkman, with music from Mouse. 
Brian Weekly would like to remind parents that the fight and its various multidimensional incarnations are not for everyone and especially not for children. If your kids are showing a precocious interest in the fight, try warping their minds and molding their bodies into half-robot machines that only respond with, yes, father, and let them join in the fun and fracas of the fight at the legal age. Brian Weekly would like to remind any youths listening that their parents don't love or understand them and that they're not their real dad anyway. If you want to really stick it to the man, be sure to rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter, at Brian Weekly.